here serving awesome God.
come on and give your God a hand of praise. He's worthy. Praise the name of the Lord. If you would, open your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. visiting us today. Wow. If you are our guest, we thank you so much for being with us. We thank you for making it today. Amen. Can we welcome our visitors one more time? And for all of you that are here every week, every week, I appreciate you. Amen. And I'm glad you made it too. Amen. Glory to God. Praise the name of Jesus. The book of Ephesians chapter 6, we are going to begin reading in verse 1, and we will read to verse 4, and then we'll pray. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Some parents say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you, and you may live long on this earth. And verse 4 says, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the, trans, in the training and admonition of the Lord. Some child should say amen. We're all children, so everyone should have said amen right there. Every one of us has parents, so we'll always be children to some degree. Amen. We are children of the King. Father, we thank you so much for your grace today. We thank you for your love today. We thank you for your presence today. I thank you for this time that we've been allowed to just enter into your glorious presence, to just lay our worship at your feet, my God. We thank you because our burdens have been able to be laid down before you. And I pray that everyone in this place took advantage of that time of worship. And I pray that if they didn't, Lord God, and they didn't lay down their burdens and they didn't take up a freshness from you, that right now, God, even as I pray, Lord God, that you would liberate them of every care, every burden, every worry, and everything that would try to hinder them from hearing from you this morning. God, I pray today that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted up, and that you would be praised. And I thank you for the privilege it is to share your word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. And may we bear your image better as we leave this place. Less of us, more of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Someone said... You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. The book of Ephesians, we are reading here in chapter 6, and I referenced this a few weeks ago when I began this series, and we are dealing with multi-generational discipleship. We're talking about thinking beyond just me, thinking about thinking beyond just my children, thinking to my grandchildren, if Jesus does not return to my great-grandchildren, if Jesus allows that to happen. And so thinking beyond, <clears throat> beyond ourselves is not always easy because we go through difficulty, we go through hardship, we go through situations that make us focus on ourselves and make us think about us and where we are. And sometimes we forget that there's a 
bigger picture to what God wants to do in and through our lives. And so for three weeks, I dealt with the topic of marriage and family and how important that is, how important it is to have a godly marriage, how important it is to walk in intimacy and in relationship, husband and wife, because you are the beginning of the family. You are not, you don't become a family. Understand me, please. You do not become a family when you have children. You are a family the moment you get married. And so when you bring children into the marriage, if that is the way that your situation occurs, which biblically, you know, obviously that is what should happen. You should be married and then have children. Someone say amen. Amen. I'm not condemning anyone who did it backwards, but what I am saying is that it should happen that way. And so ultimately, when you come together, husband and wife, you are a family, and you begin to build certain foundational things that should continue forward when children are added into this family, when God chooses to bless your marriage, and then there are other things that need to occur. And so besides living, preparing, and celebrating marriage, which is what we talked about as Christians, there is something I'm going to talk about today, and the title of the message is is family worship as discipleship. And I hope that you have your little outline there that you're able to take notes and write some stuff down. I don't have a whole bunch of scriptures for you, but I'm sure that you may want to write some things down. At least I hope you do. And it's important for me because I'm going to share a lot of information. And I want to say the same disclaimer that I've said every time, and I will probably continue to say this. As I'm preaching these messages, I am not up here trying to throw stones at anyone. I'm not up here trying to bring up conversations that I've had with you. But what I do have to do as a leader, if I'm going to be faithful, is I have to act like I don't know you and I just love Jesus and I have one chance to preach to you every time I get up to speak if I'm going to be faithful with everything that God wants me to say. So is that all right? And so you may be offended and we may have had a conversation and that's okay. I want you to know you're not on my radar. I'm not coming at you. Because sometimes that's how people feel. Oh, he's coming at me because he told me this on this day or we had this conversation. Or, you know, just Friday, you know, we were talking and he called me, he texted me about that. Listen, it ain't about that. And I ain't going to do none of that because I didn't text nobody on Friday. But anyway, I'm just throwing that out there as an example because we'll sit there and we will begin to dissect the message and then we'll start hearing something and you get offended. And listen, if you get offended, just repent. If it hurts, say ouch and figure out why does it hurt. Because here's our problem. This is glory to God. This is our issue when we hear preaching. When we hear preaching is we try to ignore the real cause of the pain. Oh, y'all didn't hear that. We try to ignore the real cause. Oh, I just don't like him. That's why it hurt when he said it. No. Most of the time it's because God is speaking to your heart and that is what is going on. That's the reason for the ouch. And so what does that mean? That means that when I sit down and I hear God's word, listen, I, I, we, Pastor Robert was said we went to this conference, and we went to this conference where there, there was, you know, it's, it's different. I want you to understand something. God is doing an amazing thing in the earth. Can someone say amen to that? But the people that he is saving and raising up in this hour, they are different. Y'all, 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 y'all ain't ready. Listen, they are different. They don't, they don't dress like the old school used to dress. They don't wear suits to preach. I feel good today, glory to God. I should have stood like I used to. I never even owned a suit for the longest time, and then, you know, I got all suited, glory to God. So, But I like the way suits look, so, you know, it's cool and everything. But, but here's the point. The point is, all right, there's something changing. And, and, and I want to say this. This is totally an aside, but I want to make this clear. It is very important that you understand that because if you don't understand what is going on and what God is doing, you will get in the way of what God is doing. 
Because you will begin to look at the outside of everyone and everything, and you will never allow them to be free in Jesus to, to become like Christ because you will be so worried about making them like your church used to be. Listen, and I'm, and I'm driving that bus. Did you hear what I just said? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not throwing this at you. We, we, we were having a conversation, you know, we were talking about some different things, and I won't get into any of that in specific because I don't want anyone to start looking around. and be, No, I don't want you to do all that. But here's the point. We started having a conversation, and there's just certain things that I'm just like, man, I just don't feel that, right? I'm, I'm like, because, I'm, you know, I got, like, stamped. I, I was, like, smacked in the head with that, you know, legalistic stick a few times. Mm-hmm. Right. And so ultimately, there's certain things that, that happen. But when I went to this, we went to this conference, there's, you know, different speakers. And when you hear different speakers, every speaker has a different style. Amen. Amen. Right. Some speakers, you know, they're, they're, they're real prim and proper. One guy got up there, he had a bow tie on and he was like, you know, he said, you know, he gave his little story and stuff like that. And so he had his way of communicating. And, you know, another guy came up there. He's like 6'6", you know, big, you know, football, ex-football player. And he's, I mean, amazing, you know, bringing forth the word. Different than there's this one guy. He gets up there and he comes out and he is like Mr. Ebonics. Now, y'all, 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 I, I couldn't even begin to, I couldn't even begin to articulate for you what he did. It was amazing, okay? And I, and I mean, he was, and, and he, I mean, he got up there, and he was like, what, 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 what was the word? He, he was, he, he would make you say a word. He'd be like, say, booming, and he'd be like that. So just, just to kind of give you an idea, and he, and he, and, and he would just go, and but listen, I met someone, I heard someone, I didn't really meet him, I heard someone who spoke faster than me, glory to God. Because I know I talk fast, right? This brother, I was like, man, he talks fast. I'm like, I know that I'm not there. And so, oh, right, he talked faster than me, right? He was, he was, but listen, but here's the thing. It took me about 15 minutes to get past his ebonics to actually hear what he was saying. I'm just, I'm confessing my sin to you. That is sin that I couldn't sit there and, and automatically I was like, man, what's this? And you know, you know, you know, you know what, you know what the, the, the title on the front of his name is? Doctor, y'all ain't hearing me. This is the point. The point is that we have got to get ready for what God wants to do so that way we are able. And so as this person is speaking, I could sit there, right? And this, this is my point. This is why I brought that all in to tie this together with when I'm saying something or whoever's saying something. I could tie in the point while, this, while this, this man of God is speaking and he's sharing. I could say, man, I just don't like the way he speaks. That's why that's bothering me. No, man, it's the content of what he's saying that is getting to your heart. It is when God pulls your coat and like, hey, man, you need to tighten up. And, and we, don't, we, we don't like that. And so that's the reason why, why I give you the disclaimer. So hopefully you can get your eyes off of me for a moment. And just if you got to close your eyes while I preach, do that. Whatever you got to do. Just hear what God is saying to you and just don't act like, oh, he ain't talking to me. He's talking to that one. No, he's talking to you. As a matter of fact, we're going we're gonna to make a rule in this church. If you ever have to say God is not speaking to me, he's definitely talking to you. That's dogma, not doctrine. That's just going to be our rule, okay? We, we, if, if, you, if you have to sit there and say, oh, he ain't talk, he's talking. Yeah, that's good for them. Mm -hmm, re repent. All right? Amen? Praise the Lord. And so we began this series, and we started talking about the multi-generational discipleship, and we started talking about family and, 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 wor and, um, and, and marriage. And so today I want to deal with the second topic, which is family worship as discipleship. Say that with me. Family worship as discipleship. I want to say this, we will never 
and, and, and I wrote this in big, N-E-V-E-R, like capitalized, bolded. And so if you were reading it, it would be yelling at you. We will never pass on a legacy of faith if we never engage in the exercise of faith as a family. Let me say that again. We will never pass on a legacy of faith if we never engage in the exercise of faith as a family. And so let me give you some exercises of faith so we can understand this. When we come to church together and we worship and things of that nature, that is coming together. That is exercising faith together, worshiping together. When you go out and you feed someone that is, you know, that needs to be fed, when you go and you do a missions trip or you go on mission in your neighborhood, wherever you're at, with your family, that is you exercising exercising faith together when you go out and you do different things that are cut you know that 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 are that are relational those are exercises of faith as far as you know participating in church but I want you to understand there are other things that are exercises of faith that need to happen because I want you to realize that by simply coming to church together which should be a priority someone say amen by coming together, worshiping, hearing the word of God, making Mon- um, Sunday and Wednesday and whenever it's a Friday or a Saturday or a connect group, making those days priorities on your list of things to do, those should happen. But I will let you know this, by doing that alone, that is not going to create a legacy of faith. That is not going to create a legacy of faith. So here's what I'm saying. Don't stop coming on Sunday. Don't stop coming on Wednesday. Don't stop participating in these other things. But add some things to your life and remove other stuff. Yeah, I got like four amens because we don't want to do that. It's real easy. I'm just going to move church out the way. No, that's, that's not what you need to do. You need, to, you need to change some other things out of the way. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But ultimately, if we are not engaging... If we are not engaging in our faith with our families, we're never going to leave a legacy. It won't happen. If we're not participating, that will not occur. We can't just wait until they get a revelation. Listen, I'm going to say it like this. We need to create atmospheres in our home where revelations are bound to happen. We need to create an atmosphere in our home where the revelation of Jesus can occur in a bathroom. Let me give you a testimony really quickly. When I first met Jesus and he transformed my life and revolutionized me, I told you I used to be a horrible sinner. I mean, I'm still a horrible sinner. I'm just saved. Um, Some things I don't do any longer, praise the name of Jesus. But ultimately, the thing was, when I first met Jesus, I had the worst mouth on the planet. God liberated me from that immediately. I stopped cursing. Amazing testimony. But there was one other thing that I, you know, that I used to do. I was very, um, li- um, very free to do whatever I wanted to do. I didn't have curfews. I could go and come whenever I wanted to. Well, when I got saved, my mother was saved, and I don't know what happened. But one day, I came to her and I asked her, I "said Mom, can I go play basketball?" And normally, in a conversation like this, my mom wasn't giving me a yes or a no. She was just knowing where I was going. Now, I want you to understand what what took place. My mother was unsaved when I was acting like that. My mother gave her life to Jesus, and now I gave my life to Jesus, so now order has to take place in the house. So for all my young, you know, people up in here, don't be coming informing your parents what you're doing. You need to come have a conversation. Can I do this? Anyway. Mind you, I was, I, I was almost 18 years old now. I'm 17, about to turn 18, and, you know, I've been out there doing all kind of craziness. So ultimately, I come to my mom this day, and I'm like, Mom, can I go play basketball? She says, no. I was like, the devil is a liar? She said, no. 
And I got mad, and, and, and I started to disrespect her. I was like, but I don't understand why I can't go. And, you know, for those of you that don't know me, you know, I mean, I'm loud always. I'm just loud. I'm always preaching. And so, you know, I've got to, like, tell myself, stop preaching, stop talking, and it's tough. But ultimately, I'm like, Mom, man, I don't understand. Why, why can't I go play basketball? We ain't got to do nothing in the house. I started to run down this list. She just told me no. I was like, she's not going to let me go play basketball. So I went into the bathroom. And I will never forget, when I walked into the bathroom, that that, that day, my mom, she had been up in the bathroom early. I heard her in the morning, and she was putting up pictures in the bathroom or, you know, something. She was banging something on the wall and, you know, nailing something up there. I don't know. I came into the bathroom, and I read something that she wrote on the wall. And when I read that, I began to weep. And the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, you're supposed to honor your mom. And let me tell you something. From that day forward, I never, when I mean never, I never disrespected my mom again. What did she do? She created an atmosphere. She created an environment where, you know what, even when I wasn't thinking about it, I was going to look up and read something that was biblically based and was going to rock my world, and I didn't know that. She didn't know that. She was just, I'm going to just put this up here so when I brush my teeth, I can look over there and be reminded. (laughs) Here's the thing. When we talk about family worship as discipleship, that's what I'm talking about. It's about from as young as your children are, and if you don't have children, then this is a great time to prepare that atmosphere of your home so when they walk into a place, it's not just about, I mean, you can. In our home, my wife, she, she just, I mean, she likes music. Obviously, she sings, but I guess she, you know, she does that, and she leads worship, and her and my daughter, they sing songs together, and they practice, and, you know, my wife listens, but most of the time, like, I'm the type of guy, like, I was raised up in a house where they were always blasting the radio, and so I'd be like, yo, let me just blast some hip-hop, Jesus, something, and, you know, whatever, and my wife's like, yeah, I I would like some silence in my home. <laughs> so if that's the kind of, you know, family you are, don't, you, you're not, you're not going to have worship and praise rocking. And when I say worship and praise, don't think that you have to be like a solemn hymn to be worship and praise. You can be worship and praise with some hip hop and different things like that. I mean, so don't get it twisted. Ultimately, you creating an, an, an environment, however you got to do that. But we have to create that environment for encounters with Jesus to occur. Not just hoping, one. I hope that they get it one day. Wait a second. The Bible just said, look at your Bible with me, please. Verse 4, it says, and you fathers, speaking specifically to dads, but we will apply this in in, in a general term, but I want dads to feel the weight of this. If you're a father, then you need to hear this. Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training, or that word can also be translated as nurture and admonition or exhortation or encouragement in the Lord. And so your children should be raised up in a way that you are training them, you are nurturing them, you are, you are showing them. When you nurture something, you feed something. You don't just walk into the house and just hope by osmosis that some food falls on a plate, do you? If you do, you're crazy. And you probably figured out, you know, after a couple of stomach grumbles that that wasn't going to happen, and you're going to have to do something about that, right? You weren't just going to will it to happen. Ultimately, It becomes the same thing with us as parents. We are supposed to be doing some things with our children. No matter how old your children are, your children may be older, your children may be out of your house, whatever. I don't care. Today is a great day to take this seriously and be like, what can I do to begin to nurture my children in the Lord, to begin to show them the ways of the Lord, to begin to teach them? It may start with you repenting for being a bad example. It may start with you, and listen, when I say start there, you may just have to acknowledge, man, I haven't been on it like I should be as a parent. 
I haven't walked this out like I should be. I've been a bad example in some areas. I haven't put the standard that should, that may be, and when I say start there, parents, let me tell you something. If you are honest with yourself and honest with your children, you will live a life where you will humble yourself before your children, acknowledging your sin and your shortcomings, and that will teach them about the grace of Jesus. It will teach them that you do not think you walk on a cloud. It will also show them that they need to look beyond you to someone greater who you are going to for your sin, but that you are not too prideful as a parent to say, I have failed here. I I disciplined you in anger. I was too harsh. I was insensitive. I didn't care about what was going on. I wasn't involved enough in the right areas. That is what needs to happen in some relationships, and from that point on, you'll begin to see the foundation that'll be laid for you to nurture your children no matter what age they are in the Lord and lead them the way you're supposed to. But this is what the Bible tells us to do. And so we're supposed to lead and we're supposed to teach them. And this scripture here is echoing the law that was given and where we were at for a couple of weeks in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. God gives the New Testament Christian parents a mandate. Say a mandate. This is not an option. This is a mandate. This is clearly, simply, I said this before, this is Paul being used by God to reiterate what is there in the law. And when the Bible talks about us, you know, all scripture being God-breathed, he is pointing to the Old Testament. So what he's saying is you should be meditating in the scriptures, learning what the Bible says for parents to do in order to raise up godly generations, in order to instill faith, in order to leave a legacy, because that's what God wants us to do. And so he echoes this and he communicates that we have a mandate to disciples, say to disciple our children in the faith and lead them into a personal relationship with Jesus. Now let me pause for a moment because I do not as a father and nobody else in here as a father or mother have the ability to make someone come into a relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you one of the greatest testimonies that I have with my daughter that amazed me one day. One day, she was very young at, at this time, and I'm going to tell you the sincere truth. I don't even know how this happened, okay? But um, because it wasn't like I, I've, 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 I've repented before you because I haven't been as intentional as a parent as I should be. But one day, I don't even know how the conversation came up. Someone said to her that she was Puerto Rican, and she said, no, I'm not. I'm a Christian. Now, now you, you may not understand why that's so, you know, happy for me, but that shows me that I wasn't this old Puerto Rican, old, you know, Puerto Rico. I would, you know, I wasn't like that when I was, before I met Jesus. I definitely not going to be like that afterwards. But ultimately, the point is that all my daughter knew was that she was a Christian. And, it, and, and listen to me, church, I promise you, you got to know me. I'm not like, you're a Christian. You're, do you know, you know you're a Christian. That, that is not me. I'm not, I'm, I'm not like that. And I was definitely not like that then. You know, I, I was, it was just, you know, we walked, you know, we did. And we weren't even like super disciplined in all of the things that we'll talk about today. But ultimately, the point of the matter is, I'm, I'm a firm believer in this. And, and there, there, there's a preacher, um, Leonard Ravenhill, and he was, in a, he was giving a documentary, and he said something that was amazing. And he said this, because we preach hard, and I will always preach hard against sin, because the people that are sitting before me, hard words produce soft hearts. That's the bottom line. And so soft words produce hard hearts. And so if I sit here and patty cake with you, you're not going to be repentant. But if I bring the word forth like I'm supposed to, hopefully you repent and turn to Jesus. Amen? Amen. So here's the point. And when I say turn to Jesus, that's for all of us. 
I know some of y'all are like, but that's for someone else. I told you you need to repent. When you think that you need that, that that's you. You need. We all need to turn to Jesus on, on a continual basis. And so, you know, the, 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 the thing is, Leonard Ravenhill, he gives this interview. And when he shares this interview, he said something that was profound. He said, look, and, and this guy, let me tell you something. He's a guy that preached harder than me all day long. I mean, he's, he's, he's hardcore. Oh, he's, he, he's passed away. But as, as, as he's sharing in this interview, he said, let me tell you something. He said, I didn't come to know Jesus because I realized how much of a sinner I was. I didn't come to know Jesus because of anything like that. He said, I came to know Jesus because my dad was this big, burly man. And he said, and every Tuesday night or Saturday night, I don't remember what it was. I don't remember the exact wording. He said, but we used to come to church for prayer meeting. And he said, I would watch my dad walk into the sanctuary, take off his jacket, and tears begin to roll down his face. And he said, and when I saw that in him, I wanted that. You know what he was saying? He's saying that, man, I didn't experience sin. I experienced Jesus before sin. Did his dad have control over salvation? No, but his dad was used divinely by his heavenly father to influence his life before the enemy had a chance to snatch him or steal him or make him taste something that was going to make it more difficult. And so his repentance has been continually because as he's grown and as he has continued to grow in the faith, he learns what? More of his sin. But he doesn't have to go out there and be some hellacious sinner that is doing all of this craziness in order to recognize, I need Jesus. That's why it's not good enough for us to just have good, nice, quiet homes. We need to be intentional with the gospel. Amen? Amen. Parenting for Christians is not just about making sure our children have everything they want. It is ensuring that that every one of their needs are equally met without sacrificing one for the other. See, when I was growing up, I didn't have a lot of stuff. I mean that sincerely. Like, I had, you know, we were talking on the way back from the men's conference, and I was like, man, I got a closet full of clothes. Can I tell you something? I could address like 25 of me and given some to Salvation Army with the clothes that I have in my closet in comparison to what I had when I was a kid. You got like one pair of shoes a year, and that was because my grandfather would go to California, and he would go and go shopping, and he'd bring all of it. That, that was the time we got shoes. So one time a year, we got a pair of sneakers, Right? Some of y'all are like, Bishop, that's pretty cool. You know, I don't know. You know, I, I didn't get sneakers. All right, well, I'm sorry. You had it worse than me. I'm trying to point out a story here. <laughs> the point is, I, you know, I, 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 I didn't have all of these things. You know, we went to like Dollar, I, seriously, we went to Dollar General one year for middle school to go and buy some jeans for me. That was like, and I was, man, anyway, I ain't going to get into that story. It was crazy. I was like so embarrassed. I'm like, man, I'm going to Dollar General to get some clothes for school. I'm a, you know, so it, it was nuts. But the point of the matter is, that's how it was for me. So you know what that does to a person who doesn't have a bunch of stuff when you're young? My kids are going to have everything. And they're going to have more than me. And, 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 we, and we emphasize that because we've got to make sure that happens. You know what Pastor Robert said? And I, I don't want you to get it twisted what he was saying because someone might think, well, does it mean that a man can just be spiritual and not be responsible? No. That doesn't mean that. Here's what, here's what one of the pastors said. He said that earthly responsibility minus kingdom responsibility equals irresponsibility. So if you worry about all of the earthly and natural needs of somebody minus the kingdom needs that your child has, you are irresponsible. And can I tell you something? If you put spiritual needs and natural needs in different places, spiritual needs minus natural needs, that's irresponsibility. It's irresponsible either way. 
Because we are responsible to make sure that we take care. You see it in marriage. Paul is like, listen, it's better that the virgin stays unmarried. Why? Because when she marries, she's worried about what? She's worried about pleasing God and also pleasing her spouse. That's what it says. This is what the scripture says. It's better for a man to stay unmarried because of those reasons. Because there's a spiritual reality. There's a natural reality. So when you're a family, guess what? You have to worry about two. You can't just decide, well, I'm going to go to the, you know, the, 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 the Uganda somewhere and be on missions for the rest of my life. Life, when you got to think about everybody that's with you, unless you're all going to go do that, and you still got to figure out, how am I going to take care of my family, even if you're going to build a hut? Hello? I'm not saying that you have to live high on the hog. The point of the matter is, is that we have to make sure that we are doing both and that we're taking care of these responsibilities. So for a person like me who went through those type things, you start to think, man, I got to make sure I'm providing. So you will kill yourself trying to provide those physical needs. But then there's also another place. There's, there's like some emotional needs. How many of y'all have emotional needs? You know, you need to be loved. You need to, you, need, you need to be cared for. You need to have all that. We talked about that in the different types of parenting and how there are some parents that are just law, law, law. No love, no love, no love. Then there's other parents that are love, 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 love. Just love, love, love. No law, no rules, no expectation. And it's an imbalance. And most of the time, not every time, most of the time, it is because they lacked, they had plenty of law when they were growing up, but they didn't have love, or they had plenty of love, but they didn't, but they lacked law. And they saw somebody who was in their family who became totally crazy and reprobate. They don't want their children to be like that, you know, or they saw someone in the grocery store and like, my child would never be like that. And so there's law, 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 because you're more concerned with those things. So you have the physical needs, you have the emotional needs, those morals, you know, you want to teach them that. But what about the spiritual side of this? Well, I'm a good Christian. Really? If you're not discipling your children's, children's. Y'all heard that? I'm telling the church is changing, glory to God. <laughs> if, you, if, if you are not discipling your children's, I'm going to say it on purpose now. Chitlins, your, your, your children's. Your children's. <laughs> Glory to God. If you are not doing that, if you're not doing that, are you really a good Christian? I want you to understand, parents, get me, please. If you are not doing that intentionally, I'm going to tell you the most sincere thing. I don't care how much you say you care about your child's eternal destination, you don't. Did you hear me? If you are not doing that, I don't want my kids to go to hell. Then why don't you preach to them? Oh, Bishop, you, you preach to them or they preach to them in children's church. That's not our job. It's your job. We do that as an added bonus. We do that as a benefit. It ain't our job. And I'll say that. I'm going to repeat it later. Glory to God. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that intentionality in parenting in our days is very uncommon. And we need to repent. Listen, if you feel like, man, I have kids that are out of my house and I don't know what to do, listen, you need to get on your face, go into like fasting and prayer mode and really cry out to God for his mercy that he would open their hearts and he would give you the opportunity to love them right and that you can share the gospel with them. Don't think that it's over. Because let me encourage you, even though you may not have been the best Christian, the most intentional parent, God's mercy still is mercy. 
And you may have given them some instruction, and because you did bring them to children's church, and you did bring them to church, and all that kind of stuff, they got some of that stuff in them, and so, you know, but you need to pray and still be that parent, because parents, you are, listen to what I'm going to say, you are the greatest prophet over your child's life. I am not, the pastors are not, you are the greatest prophet over your child's life. And you need to speak the word of the Lord over your child. That is the reason why we do child dedications that we don't, or child presentations that we don't, you never seen them, seen them done in the front of the church. We always say, if you want to have that done, we'll go to your house and we'll do it at your home. It's a private family thing. We'll come as a blessing and we'll bless you and be part of that. But I want the dad and I want the mom to be the one to speak over their child. All I'm going to do is agree with them and pray for their child. Because there's nowhere in my Bible where it says that I got to do that before the church. That was old covenant, and the Catholic church brought that forward, and the Protestant church decided they were going to do that. Is there something wrong with that? Not at all. But that's something that we want to make sure that we want parents to be empowered with. Because you know what? It's not my job to make your child a Christian. It's your job. First thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. We must recognize that there is a problem, and it may be us. We must recognize that there is a problem, and it may be us. I think that we kind of touched on that a little bit. But I want to say this. Statistics, when you, whenever you look at statistics, statistics are not always true. And they tell a story that can be manipulated to prove a point. In other words, you talk to enough people to get your point across, and then you can say that's the stat. They do it all the time. How do you think one drug company says, we're the best drug, and we have all of these tests, and the other drug company, because they went and they got their statistic the same way. They interviewed the right people. It worked the best. And that's how, that, that's how come you got all that confusing information. Right? Okay, so I'm going to give you some statistics, and you need to pay attention to these. Here's the reason why I want you to pay attention to this, because I don't want you to worry about how these were done. I'll tell you how they were done. They interviewed like a thousand people, and these are the answers that came out of a thousand different people. These people were different, um, different denominations, different races, different age groups, things like that. But they interviewed them, and it's, it's a group called Barna. Not everything they do is going to be perfect, but they're giving you the statistics out of 1,000 people. They didn't go and say, okay, we're going to get 1,000 people that are like this. They called 1,000 people, and they got these many people in these categories, and they answered them questions. So I'm going to read an article that was there, and it's an article that's written in 2003, and it says this. It says, parents accept responsibility for their child's spiritual development but struggle with effectiveness, right? That's the title of this. And what it says is parents believe that, they're, that they are primarily responsible responsible for the spiritual development of their children. But few parents spend time during a typical week interacting with their children on spiritual matters. So that's the first sentence of this whole thing, this whole thing that's being read, or this whole, this, this whole um, study that they put together. So here's the question. How many of you believe, I mean, seriously, you believe that you are the one that is primarily responsible for your children's spiritual growth, right? Okay, so that's most of us that are in here, so we would fall into, you know, being those parents. He goes on to say, accepting responsibility, the Barna study found that close to 9 out of 10 parents of children's age 13 and under, that was 85%, believe that they have the primary responsibility, and look like about 85% here, for teaching their children about religious beliefs and spiritual matters. 11% said their church is primarily, primarily responsible, and 1% said it is mostly the domain of their child's school. 
So 85% said they believe it's their responsibility. 11% said they believe it was the church's responsibility. And 1% said it's really the school's responsibility. Few parents assigned such responsibility to friends, society, or media. And so there wasn't enough for a statistic for that. But ultimately, there's an issue. 100% of parents should understand this, right? But not everybody's going to understand it because you're raised differently, things like that. So here we go on. Nearly all parents of children under age 13, 96%, contend that they have the primary responsibility for teaching teaching their children values. This is not just spirituality, this is values. Just 1% said their church has that task and 1% assigned that role to the child's school. So again here, that's a better percentage still. They shouldn't have any percent there, but it just goes to show you the honesty of the whole survey that they did. Related search, however, revealed that a majority of parents do not spend any time during a typical week discussing religious matters or studying religious material with their children. However, about two out of three parents of children 12 or, or, or younger attend religious services at least once a month and generally take their children with them. Most of those parents are willing to let their church or religious center provide all the direct religious teaching and related religious experiences that their children receive. There's an issue there. They come to church. They're not all doing the things they should be doing, but they come to church weekly. So there should be some equipping that takes place. And I can repent as a church leader for not being more intentional on that particular front. But here's the thing. The survey data indicate, data indicate that parents generally rely upon their church to do all of the religious training their children will receive. Parents are not so much unwilling. Hear this, please. Because I believe that this will, this will fall into a great category of people in this church and in the church abroad. Parents are not so much unwilling to provide more substantive training to their children as they are ill-equipped to do such work. So it's not that they don't want to do it. It's not that you don't, you don't want to do it. It's that you, you feel ill-equipped to do it. That's the reason why I share so, so hardly because you are equipped to do it. You, you can, and you need to equip yourself better in order to get the job done. And we as a church will assist in that process because that is our primary goal and, and, and function. Parents, and so it goes on to say, according to research, parents typically, and these are the things I want you to pay attention to. I got a little bit more to read, but pay attention to these. Parents typically have no plan for the spiritual development of their children. I don't want you to raise your hand. I want you to ask yourself that question. Do you or did you have a plan for your child's spiritual development? Or did you just hope they'll just become a Christian because I'm a good Christian, we go to church, they, you know, they see that I say no to sin. Can I tell you something? That is not a plan. That may be a vision. That's not a plan. And if it's a plan, it's a bad one. The second thing is, they do not consider it a priority. Do you consider it a priority? This is what the statistics showed. They don't have a plan. They don't consider it a priority. So do you consider do you consider a priority? Priority means you do it. Not that you think about it. Not that you listen, anything that is a priority for you gets done. Like eating is a priority for you. You don't just forget, well, you know, I, I, I have a priority to eating, and you don't eat for like a week. Oh man, I forgot to eat. Does that happen? Oh, no, Bishop, come on. You're being funny. You know, I got, you know, yeah, it was supposed to be funny. The point of the matter is, you don't just, priorities, you, you do them. So don't sit here and just, yep, I had a priority. Really? I have it. It's a priority. But we don't, we don't do any family devotionals. But it's priority. 
It's not a priority. The third thing, they have little or no training on how to nurture a child's faith. Do you have any training on how to nurture a child's faith? Can I tell you something? If you come to church, you have some training. You don't even realize it. Now, we may not have been as, been as intentional as we should be, but you have training on how to do it. How do you do it? How do I do it? We have conversation, right? You don't have to get up and grab a microphone and be like, okay, I'm going to preach to you now. You don't have to do that. But you know what? You know how to share the word. You know how to, wait, you know, we need to talk about topics. We deal with situations of life. And so you have some equipping to do that. You see that we do what? What, 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 what is our service made up of? Minus the announcements. Prayer, praise and worship, and the word. Is that what it's made up of? And can I tell you something? You even need the announcements in your family. It's called family meetings. And you're not going to be as dynamic as Pastor Aldo and be like, are you ready for some announcements? You're not going to have that, okay? Unless you're in his family, right? Because that's just natural to them. But ultimately, here's the point. The point is, do you, I mean, you, do you have the nurture? Okay, no, Bishop, I don't. What are you doing about that? Okay, I, I, was, I was never trained. You know what I had to start doing? Reading books. First and foremost, my Bible. What do I need to do as a dad? And, and then you know what is beautiful? God touched people's lives and like, you know what? You're going to write a book on, on parenting. You're going to write a book. We're, we're, we're going to start a training. And we're going to see how many of the parents here really want to train their kids. It's going to be, a, I think it's like a 12 or 18-week training. And it deals, it, it's called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And it's a Bible study curriculum. A pastor, pastor Chad and his wife, they went through it. And, and it's, it's been a very, a very great impact for their lives to show them how to shepherd a child's heart. Not just teach them morals, not just teach them how to act. So we bought that. We got the curriculum, so we're gonna, we'll sit down and we'll go through it. I'm going to be blessed by it. It's actually part of what I have to do in the adoption process, the Christian organization. Listen, I wish more people, I wish like God would be like, okay, you want to have kids? Let me send you this information. Let me get you this before I do anything. Because if you had to go through the process we have to go through before you can adopt a child, oh, my goodness. Some of y'all be just without kids for a long time. Seriously, I mean, if you had to, like, go through a training course before you got pregnant, you'd be, I mean, you'd be like, well, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. Okay, well, as long as you take, that's how long it's going to take. Mm-hmm. So, have little or no training on how to do that. You do have training. Don't be lazy. Amen? amen. Hallelujah. They said amen and don't be lazy. I love that. Glory to God. <laughs> they have no related standards or goals that they are seeking to satisfy. Remember when I talked about the plan? I think some of you might have some related goals or standards, but I think we need to tighten those things up. What do you think? I think we need, to, we, we need to up the standard a little bit as far as what we expect of our kids. Our kids can do much more than what we think. Oh, they have so much school that they have to do, and they have so much schoolwork, and they have a, I don't care. How much TV do they watch? How much, vi- oh, that's their free time. Free time, they're going to have plenty of free time in heaven or hell, whichever one they go to. So think about it like that. Oh, well, I can't play Xbox. Play that on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Give them like a, a period. You have one hour to do that. Amen. Glory to God. Mm. The last one, the last part of the standard here. They experience no accountability for their efforts. So has anyone ever asked you how you're doing as a parent? You know, someone that, that you consider an authority in your life, whether it's a parent, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a leader. 
And listen, I confess my sin to you because I need to be asking y'all a lot more, how you doing as a parent? And so these are the issues. The issue is they have no plan. They don't consider it a priority. They have little or no training how to do it. They have no related standards or goals. There's, what is the expectation? And the experience, no accountability. This situation, it represents an opportunity for churches to prepare parents for a more significant role in the spiritual development of their children. However, while churches offer classes and other programs for children, they do, not relative, they, they do relatively little to equip parents to be effective spiritual guides. So here's what happens. In most scenarios, what we do is we'll have a banging children's program. They do a great job over there. Booming. Booming. <laughs> Have an amazing youth ministry. Do a great job. We do all of those things, but we don't, we don't think about how are we equipping the parents to do this. And so that is one of the things that has definitely shifted in my heart and in the heart of the leadership as far we need to equip parents better. That's the reason why we order the curriculum. Talking to Minister Don, who um, you know, was the one who actually pointed the, the, the curriculum out to me because we want to make sure that we participate and that we help parents. And let me say this. This is good for every parent in this place, no matter how old your kids are. It's a good thing to participate in because, one, you're going to learn some stuff. Number two, you'll repent of some things. Number three, even if you don't have kids or you can do all of this stuff with, you can pass it on to someone else. You can encourage someone through the process. And so think about discipleship. Discipleship is not just about you receiving. It is about you also giving. Amen? And so we see these statistics, and I'm going to leave them there. There's some more that I could read to you. If you want more of that information, I'll send it to you. But here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that we need to think about what we're doing. And I said this. We must recognize that there is a problem, and it may be us. And so I said statistics tell a story that can be manipulated to prove a point, yet fruit is fruit. Did you hear me? Fruit is fruit. Good or bad, apple or orange. It cannot be manipulated. It must be cultivated. You know the saying, right? The fruit don't fall far from the tree. What's that talking about? It's talking about your family. It's saying, oh, they're just like you. He's just like his daddy. That's, that, that's a bad thing when it's negative stuff. Just like she, she's just like her mom, or she's just like her dad, or he's just, you know, whatever. Negative, those, those, when, when, that's, when, that's speaking of, when that's speaking of positive, glory to God all day long. When that's speaking of a negative, that's a bad thing. And so when we look at the fruit in our children's life, the fruit, uh, the fruit in our children's lives, what do we think? That's someone else's fault? They didn't teach well enough in children's church. We, 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 we become like Adam, you know. It's like, oh, it's the wife you gave me. Oh, it's the church. It's the church's fault. It's because, you know, the, really? How long do we get your kids? How long? How, how long do I have you? For some of y'all, it's only once a week for like two hours, right? About that. For others, it's like, you know, four, let's say four hours. Let, 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 let's make it big. If we had your children six hours a week, that would be an overstatement of the time we have with your kids. And you're going to blame their fruit on us? You crazy. You are crazy. Oh, it's their fault. It's their programming. Really? Really? All we're trying to do is point them to Jesus. We are not doing a perfect job of that. None of us are because we're imperfect. That's what we're trying to do. And so ultimately, we can't blame anyone. We need to look in the mirror and say, wait a second. The fruit don't fall far from the tree. 
So maybe I might think I have it all together. I need to repent and realize that I don't. It is important, and I said I would say this again, so I will, that you understand that it is our desire as a church to partner with you as parents in the instruction of your children, but it is not our responsibility to raise them up in the Lord. We want to partner with you. We want to join with you. We want to speak into their lives. We want to encourage them. We want to evangelize them. We want to share the gospel. We want to help them go and, you know, do things that are, that are missional things. We want to do all of that stuff. But do not depend on us to do your job. And then blame us when you see, oh, you know, little Johnny. And I'm just going to say Johnny because I don't think we have any kids named Johnny. If we do, I'm sorry. Sometimes I look at him like, what's, what's his name? I, I just forget. I'm sorry. But you look at him or, or her, and you're like, man, it's the church's fault. I don't know. They're over there playing games. Okay. Keep blaming everyone else. What are you doing, playing games at home? Mm-hmm. I know that's rough, right? But I love you. Number two, say this with me. We must, we must embrace, the urgency embrace the urgency to become intentional in our discipleship. Now, I'm going to say this. It cannot be said enough. We are all worshipers. Say it. We are all worshipers by nature. God created us to worship. It's all right. You don't have to repeat that. I was just going to see if you're going to do it. That's why I paused. I was just, I just wanted to do that anyway. Y'all did a good job. I appreciate that. We are all worshipers. Every one of us that is in here is a worshiper. Say it. I'm a worshiper. The question is not am I a worshiper. The question is what do I worship? Everyone who walks planet earth is a worshiper of something. Your children worship something. In most cases, they worship their parents. Seriously. They, work, they, they adore their parents. You know, you have kids. I mean, you know, you, you think this is crazy. You know how you, you, you ever see a kid like going to be dropped off in a nursery or left at someone's house and the parent has to like sneak out or else the kid goes crazy? You know what that is? That's just worship. That's all that is. I mean, really, you're like, Bishop, that's not worship. Yes, it is. They, they don't know what they're doing. They're just clinging to you, holding on to you, saying, no, 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 I have to be with you. What is that? That is worship. They don't know what it is, but that is what it is. That's what they do. They cling to their parents. Is there something wrong with that? No. It's, you know, it's a little bothersome to the ears, right? It's a little frustrating to the person who's working in nursery or whatever the case is because, like, man, I'm trying to love on this child. This child doesn't want to stay, you know, but whatever. But ultimately, is that a, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm trying to point something out to you, Okay. Everyone is created to worship, to idolize, to bow down to something. We all do that. And so here's the thing. The thing that we got to ask is, is, is what is the object of our worship? And the reason why that is such an important question for us as parents is because our children learn to worship from us. Most times, our children will worship what we worship. Let me put it to you like this, okay? Because, you know, worship is such a heavy word and, you know, you're like scared. I don't know. But here's the point. The point is you sit there and you like things. The things you like, usually your kids are going to like them. Most girls, most girls, not some girls do. Most girls, they don't like to watch wrestling, football, basketball, anything like that. They're not into that kind of stuff. 
My daughter, when she was small, she loved to watch all that stuff with me. She would, she would go to my, my mother-in-law's house jumping on her like she was a wrestler, like she was crazy. I had to stop watching wrestling with her because she was, you know, getting violent. It was going to hurt my mother-in-law. And so ultimately, the point is, I enjoy doing that. She want to do that. She wants to participate in the things that I'm participating in. When I go wash the car, this is no, this is no lie. She tell me, Daddy, I want to wax the car with you. One time I said, you go ahead and wax the car. She waxed the car. After she was done, she was like, I will never do that again. She realized, I don't want to do that. That's not something I want to do. And so ultimately, the point is, our children learn to worship from us. And so here becomes that question. What are they learning? What are they learning? I want you all to watch this video, and then I'm going to come back, and I'll wrap this up. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. Well, you would think they were crazy if you didn't understand their culture and their religion. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. But they had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. You don't really relate, do you? Let's try it again. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. Idol worship. It's not just about golden calves anymore. No, I don't think that every school band is an idol worshiper. That's not what they think either. They're trying to point out how much time and effort and money and everything we sacrifice to be there. Because you know what worship is? Worship is devotion. It's devotion to something. You think, oh, well, I worship Jesus and I sing to him louder than I scream over there sometimes. And, and, and I spend more time, mo, mo, most of you can't, listen, most of you cannot say, I spend more time doing church stuff than I do, no you don't, no you don't, I'm sorry, you're lying to yourself. Here's a, here's a point, the point is, we need to look at, what do we worship? What do we spend our time on? What do we spend our money in? What, what do we worship? Because family worship is, when we talk about family worship in and of itself, you want to know what it's going to be like? It's going, to, it's going to be whatever you're worshiping as a family, that's what you're worshiping. That's the bottom line. If we do not exemplify true worship, if we do not equip our children for true worship, if we do not encourage true worship, it will be to the detriment of our children and their discipleship. 
Family worship is part of discipleship. It is part of what we're supposed to be doing as, as worshipers. To exemplify worship is not only to come and sing on Sundays or only to come sing on Wednesdays or only to come to Bible study or preaching during those times. To be a worshiper is not even only to sing. It is by showing that you are a worshiper of Jesus by the way you treat your spouse, by the way you treat your children, by the way you treat your neighbors. It is showing them that that is what worship is. I'm not worshiping them. I am worshiping God by my treatment of them. It is exemplifying those things. It is showing them that I say no to these things because I love Jesus more than I love myself. I say no to those activities. I don't participate in these places because of what? Because I love Jesus more. I care more about my testimony and the gospel than I do my own satisfaction. And we equip our children by doing that. By having real conversation. We live it out before them, but then we explain to them why. I've told you the stories about my daughter and us talking about Harry Potter. And then I told you how she rebuked me because we watched Witch Mountain and because I let her watch the, a, a movie that we shouldn't have watched because it was a Disney movie. Ultimately, the point of the matter is that we show them. We live it before them. And then we have conversations about it. And when needed, we repent because we were wrong. We don't justify our behavior. We don't say, well, that says, you know, rated R, and because I'm over 18, I can watch it or I want to watch. Listen, if it is inappropriate and un unnecessary, I'm going to tell you right now, your Bible, go ahead and listen to your Bible. Listen to it on audio Bible, and you will see that your Bible is pretty close to rated R. What do I mean by that? What I mean is the Bible talks about he went into her, that would be under a rated R title. The Bible talks about massacres and murders and things like that. That would be under a rated R title. In some places, listen, there's some times where, you know, we haven't had a conversation about something and we're listening to audio Bible and my wife and I both look at each other and we just hope that our daughter missed that word. Seriously, because we haven't talked about that yet. I remember the first time we were reading the NIV Bible, it was like years ago, and we read the word sex and my wife was like, actually, Alexis was reading it to us. I was like, Jesus in heaven, it is not time for that conversation. <laughs> but, but here's the point. The point is that we need to consider, okay, I exemplify it. I, I, I equip them for it. I show them why it's right. I show them why it's wrong. I encourage them to do it. And how do I encourage them? We're going to talk about that right now. My third point, it is this. Say this with me. We must, we must. commit to family worship at all costs. When I said I was closing, I said I was going to wrap this up, so it's going to be a long close. Amen? Praise the Lord Jesus. Three components. You can write these down, and you should know these already. Three components that make up family worship. One of them is worship. Say worship. The second one is prayer. Say prayer. The third one is scripture. Say scripture. Okay, so let me break these down. This is, I, I want to give you something that you can go home with and you can think about. When we're talking about family worship, we want to talk about the discipleship, the family altar. That's really what we want to talk about. We're not just talking about just worship in and of itself. We want to talk about its fullness in the, whole, in the whole way that it affects our children. And the one way is through worship in and of itself. When we talk about worship, there are different things that you can do to worship. One of them is you can simply sing songs like we do together on Sunday. Another way that you can worship is is by reading psalms together and talking about how great God is throughout the psalms and talking about what that means about God. That is a way to laud him, to exalt him, and to glorify him. You can also worship him through testifying of things that God is doing good in your life that you recognize. That is a way to lead worship. Why do I say that? Because some of you think that you're having a concert, and because you can't sing like my wife, then you can't lead worship in your home. 
Y'all didn't hear me. Well, I really can't sing like her. You know, we don't have a band up there. Here, let me give you another idea for worship. Get your iPod. I don't encourage YouTube, and I'm going to tell you why. Because one family told me about it, and they're focused more on what they're looking at than who they're singing to. And so what I encourage is get your iPod. Get some kind of CD, something. Turn on worship and praise. If you can't sing, if you don't know how to lead, then turn and get, get some song. Ask me. I'll send you some stuff. I'll give you a CD that's mixed up with all kind of worship. We have a bunch of them. And so you can take those and just sing a couple of songs with your kids. Can I tell you something? Your kids do not care whether you sing or not well. They don't care right now. If they're older, they might. They get critical and they're like, you know, you know what, Dad, you need to tighten that up. Don't do that. But see, that's a great teaching opportunity. You know why? Because you explain to your kids, it's not about the sound of my voice. It's about the words that are coming off of my heart. And it's not about the sound of your voice either, baby. It's about us singing congregationally, together, worshiping our God. Control yourself. Don't get crazy on it, okay? You know, don't, 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 don't go out there and try to hit notes you shouldn't be hitting. Just keep it real low. How great is our God? You can stay right there. You ain't got to be like, how great is our God? You ain't got to get crazy. Don't, don't, don't get crazy with it, okay? Do that by yourself. Family worship, let's think about everybody involved. Amen? <laughs> but the point of the matter is, don't feel intimidated like you can't sing because I don't have an opera voice. You don't need an opera voice. God is not looking for an opera voice. And if you can't sing, that might be an even better incentive because, again, you show your kids, it's not about that. It's about a heart that is after God. The next thing is prayer. And when I talk about prayer, I, I, listen, I want to say this as well. And let, let me say something. Well, I, I'm going to say this about all of these things. And this is for the dads. Dads, I want you to lead. But good leaders raise up leaders. Let me say that again. Dads, I want you to lead. Moms, if you're single moms, I want you to lead these family devotionals. I don't want you to hog them. I'll tell you like I tell our small group leaders this is not your platform to show how great of a preacher you are. This is not your platform to show how lengthy and wondrous and how you brought the glory down in your prayers. Because can I tell you something? After about two minutes of prayer, your child's going to start blinking and start looking around. And, and don't, don't feel like, oh, they're just a heathen. Yeah, they need deliverance. They need Jesus. But don't get crazy on them. They're kids. Their attention span is like, you know, small. But they should know that we have this family time. This is our devotional time. So prayer, what do we pray for? Because I want you to be specific on what you're teaching your children to pray for. Remember, you're teaching your children, this is how you lead worship. This is how you, this is how you worship God. It's not only through singing or through reading or it's these different things that you can do. Involve them in what you're doing as a family. No one can leave here saying that they don't understand how to do this. Amen? Prayer. When we pray, we worship, sing. How are you going to do that? Do that unto the Lord. Prayer. You pray for the lost. You pray for the land, and you pray for leadership. You pray for the lost, the people that you know, your family members. Pray for your family members that do not know Jesus by name. Help your kids to recognize the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Don't be judgmental. You know when someone knows Jesus. Help them to recognize you are praying for their salvation. Help them to know you're not judging them. You want them to know Jesus. Let them gain the heart of compassion. Pray for those neighbors that you may not know, co-workers that you may not know. Pray for the lost. Teach them to pray for them. Pray for the land. In other words, pray for your nation. 
Pray for all of the churches around. Pray for everything that goes on. Pray for the things you see on the news. Pray for friends in school. You know, our daughter comes and tells us about people that have cancer, children who lose their mom, different scenarios like that. Pray for those things. And pray for leadership. Pray for leadership in the nation. Pray for their salvation first and foremost. Pray for them. And then also pray for the leadership in your church and in the body of Christ. And here's what I want you to understand. You need to delegate when we pray in our home, it's like this. Okay, I'm going to pray for this. You're going to pray for this. You're going to pray for this. And you know what we do once in a while? Once in a while, I'll be like, look, everybody just pray what's on your heart. And we all go around and we just pray. The point is that daddy's not going to be the one who's going to hog the time of prayer, and I'm the only one praying. She will never learn to pray like that. She will never grow in prayer that way. She will never pray publicly. You know how many adults are petrified when we get in the prayer circle? You know why they don't give petitions? Because I don't do like I did this morning. For those of you that are here during prayer time, this morning I gave you all a pass. I didn't say, well, you can pray for that and you can pray for that. Most of the time that's what I do. When you bring a petition that's not for you personally, I say, well, you can go ahead and pray for that, right? That's why most people don't bring petitions. Because they're like, okay, Bishop, I'm going to pray to myself. Why? They're petrified to pray out loud. Can I tell you something? You are not praying for me. You are not praying for the person next to you. You are praying to God Almighty, your daddy in heaven. And let me say it like this. You can say daddy as many times as you want and don't let anyone tell you different. Mm-hmm. Glory to God. I had a conversation with someone. He said someone came up to them and was like, you say daddy too much when you pray. What? That is the devil trying to make you conscious about everyone else and not your daddy. Say, daddy, 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 and daddy. <laughs> Glory to God. I ain't talking to you. I'm talking to Jesus. Mm-hmm. They didn't tell me who said it, so I hope you heard it. Glory to God. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there, so that's a good one. So just take it, take it, take it. Hallelujah. Scripture. So it is worship, it is prayer, and it is Scripture. Say Scripture. So what do I mean by scripture? Are you going to go through a long, lengthy Bible study with your child? You may. I don't know. But let me give you some ideas. There's a book. I was going to bring the book, and then I totally forgot it. There's a book that my dad actually sent for my daughter. And when we do devotionals, we go through this book. And it talks about different characteristics of God. It deals with different things. At the end of every one of them, it asks my daughter if she wants to accept Jesus. That is wonderful. At, a, at the end of every lesson, it asks, have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you repented of your sin? It talks about the different attributes of God. That's a great way to do family devotional. Go through that. It goes through scripture. Have your Bible there. Go through those things. Read through scripture together. There's something that Pastor Chad introduced me to. I didn't even know what this word meant. He said catechism. I'm like, cat what? Catechism. But it's where you memorize scriptures based on certain characteristics of God, based on certain things of God's character, certain things that should be doctrinal for the church. There's no perfect catechism, like there's no perfect Bible study, but the point is, I have a, a long catechism you can go through with your kids. He has one as well. If you need that emailed, you can get that. Go over. You know what it does? It gives you a question that you ask your child. It gives you scripture that they memorize because they ask a question, and this would be an example. How do you know God is good? Prove it. Why is that important? Because when someone else asks your kids these questions about God, do you want them to be a quick or equipped or do you want them to be like, um, well, my daddy told me he was good. Well, what about the people in Africa that are starving? And what about the people over here who are going, well, um, then you wonder why the enemy wins the battle because we're not taking the time for that. And let me say this as well. Scripture memory. 
Some of us have, as adults, we have issues memorizing stuff. It's probably because someone when we were a kid didn't make us memorize stuff. Didn't teach us the importance of that. And so we never had to memorize everything or we crammed for every exam in our life and so we only had to have short-term memory. Right? So it becomes an issue. And I don't give the adults a pass and so adults, don't give your kids a pass. Listen, your kids memorize stuff much, much, much faster than you do. I've watched my daughter memorize two or three scriptures that are long that I'm like, Jesus in heaven, I couldn't do this. And in like 20 minutes, she's like, and I'm like, glory to God. Ask her the next morning. I'm like, praise the name of Jesus. Let me say this. As with anything new, this will feel unnatural. It may even be embarrassing. Come on, we want to do worship together. What? Maintain, and, 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 and to, it'd be embarrassing to initiate. You have to initiate and maintain family worship until it becomes a norm. I confess this to you all the time. We'll start well and fall off. Start well, fall off. That means that I started well, fell off, I repented. Started well, fell off. That's it. You continue to come back. Any negativity will short-circuit your efforts to establish this new thing, especially in your children's heart. So if you as a dad, you know, you're like, man, I'm tired. I don't feel like doing this right now. That negativity, your child's going to be like, dad, don't worry about it. We don't have to do it. Don't worry about it. We don't have to do it. We're good. Or, or, or if, you know, dad is calling this time and mom is like, Psh, I'm watching my show. And the lady's like, Bishop, why you got to come at us like that? I'm just saying. It, it can be the other way around. Like, Let me finish my show. And then your kids over there are like, oh, this, not, this, this, is, this is negativity. They're, they're not even going to be motivated. Let me tell you the other thing. Inconsistency is going to show that it's not a priority for you. And you know what your kids will do? If it's a priority for you, they'll make it a priority for themselves. If it's not a priority for you, it's not going to be a priority for them. So don't expect them to be better than you. And let me say this. This one should really hurt really good. I hope it does. If we are not sacrificing to make family worship a consistent part of our discipleship process in our homes, then we are sacrificing family worship for something else. If you are not sacrificing to make family worship a consistent priority in your home, then you are sacrificing family worship for something else. Listen, they're your kids. They're not mine. You either care about their eternity or you don't. That's the bottom line. It's not to manipulate you. That's just to be real. Because God gave you, as a parent, an inheritance. He gave me, you, as a church. And so ultimately, we have to ask those questions. What are we sacrificing our family devotional time to? And see, it is so important, and I say this in a, in a, in a very humbled manner. My wife and I, we love Jesus. We never made it a priority to always pray together. 
Now, I thank God that it is a priority with, with our daughter that at night before we go to bed, we pray together. That is an awesome thing. And I can thank my wife for being there when I'm not there, and that's a beautiful scenario where we do that. That's a norm. But as far as her and I, we didn't make that a priority. Because what? Because we pray, we worship, we sing, you know, we seek God. She loves Jesus. She reads her Bible. I love Jesus. I read my Bible. And still, I was being irresponsible. And I could blame whoever, but the bottom line is the buck falls with me. And so I got to wear that. But I'm telling you this now. For those of you who don't have kids, make prayer a priority. And then you know what? When you have kids, just bring them into the process. As soon as they're old enough, because I know you want to put them to bed so you can get some rest, you know, when they're first born and all that good stuff. But as soon as they're old enough, and when I say old enough, I don't mean like when they're five. I don't, I don't mean that. I mean, like, once they're, you know, you're, you're, you're starting to communicate with them and all that good stuff, right around there, you need to, as a matter of fact, our daughter used to be right there. We doing worship and praise with her, so she was right there in church with us, and so you can have her there. And she, and you know what? Martha Munizzi came to our church on our first year anniversary. I'll never forget it. And Martha Munizzi was amazed at Alexis because the worship team that was there, they were playing around and messing around. Alexis was just watching Martha like, okay, what do we got to do next? She, was, she, wasn't, she wasn't playing games. She was just seriously focused. And so it was because of what? Because she saw that kind of stuff. That's not family. That's just an example of a way that you influence your child. Don't think your child, they're just too small. Listen, you better start instilling stuff in them as early as possible. Because if you wait, it is too late to start, you know, doing something that's going to be easy. You make the labor harder. Now I am closing. <laughs> All right, just for that, that's an extra 15 minutes added to this. Glory to God. The key to establishing family worship within our homes is not behavior modification. It is belief transformation. See, because you will leave here hearing what I said and try to change your behavior, try to modify your behavior, Try to figure out. But if your beliefs don't change, you will start well, fall off. Start well, fall off. I'm only talking to you from experience. So don't feel bad. I get it right in the face too. Hallelujah. Belief transformation. Your beliefs have to come to the place that you carry the weight as a parent for the eternal destination of your children and that you carry that like a mother in labor. I always say this. I'm here today because my mom gave birth to me twice. She gave birth to me in the natural and she prayed for me like she was in labor with me. And the only reason why I know that is not because I heard her but because I watched her pray for my grandfather. And I saw the way she prayed for her dad and I said, man, I know how much my mom loves me and I can imagine her prayers for me. And so ultimately, she carried the weight of that. She couldn't save me. She could not do anything to make me know that I was a sinner in need of Jesus. But what she could do is she could go to Jesus and say, Jesus, you got to deal with him. You have to draw his heart. You have to soften his heart. You have to open his eyes. You have to unstop his ears. You have to bring him to the place that he knows you. You have to do this. And I trust that you can do this. I stand here today to preach the gospel only because my mom took the time in prayer to labor over me. But she also, listen, 
I don't have time to give my whole testimony. I was just joking when Sean said, yeah, right. But here's what I want to tell you. When I was in the world, everyone tried to talk to me about Jesus. And, and my mom was the only one who God used in order to be able to really share with me those truths. And I was a, I was a bastard. Let me use that word. I didn't have a dad in the natural. I acted like I didn't have a mom. I would do my own thing. By the way, that word is in the Bible, so I didn't just curse for some of y'all. I know you got offended and sensitive. But here's the thing. I wouldn't listen to anyone. And you know what my mom did? By the leading of the Holy Spirit, she caught me at those opportune moments in between me getting ready to leave my house and going out with my friends. And she's like, let me read this scripture to you. And she read the scripture to me. She said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and only fools despise knowledge. You know what? It was like God punched me in the face because I walked out of that house. I got into the car. You know what the first thing that came out of my mouth to my friends was? Man, you know only fools despise knowledge? And they were like, what are you talking about? I'm like, man, we're fools. They're like, what? I'm like, man, we do the same thing every day. That's what a fool does. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus 17-year-old guy, lost, I mean, straight, I mean, I was on a highway to hell for sure. And he used my mom to just come by, didn't care about me smoking my cigarettes, didn't care about whatever I was doing, she came and dropped that seed. And then a, and then a month later, it was a month, and I'm not telling you, I'm, I'm telling you a month, I don't want you to get all like, okay, I need to pray for a month. I don't know how long it would be for you. But I'm telling you, a month later, after she got saved, I came home one night totally out of my mind. And when I walked into the room, I told her, I said, Mom, I did this particular drug. And she was like, you know, I told you not to do that. And then I was like, all right. And she said, well, since we're here, let's read from the word. When I was high, I knew I was going to hell. Not when I was high. I knew that all the time. But when I was high, I was like, I'm aware of this. I don't want to hear anything about God. I don't want to think about going to hell. And it was that moment that I stood up. And when I stood up, the voice of the Lord, that's the only time that I can tell you that I heard the voice of God audibly. He said, you've come this far. Are you going to stop now? And that's when the first part of that verse kicked in. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I became so petrified at that moment because I had never heard a voice like that ever. And when I heard that voice, I was trying to lock the doors. My mom was like, what is wrong with you? I said, I don't know. She said, look, just sit down. I sat down. She started reading the scriptures to me. I began to weep and weep and weep, and the Holy Spirit dealt with me. Then she started telling me stuff, and, and, and for those of you that have heard the testimony before, she started telling me, you know, God has heard you praying. Nobody knew that I prayed, but every night, because I knew I was going to hell, I prayed, God, give me wisdom and forgive me for my sins, and then I would add, because I went to a Bible study they tricked me to go into, I would add in there, in Jesus' name, because I wanted to be heard. And so God's like, okay, you want to be heard? I'm going to hear you, and I'm going to answer. And he began to pursue me vigorously, relentlessly, just like he's doing to some of you. He's, he's pursuing your heart. And so ultimately, he calls us, and, 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 and he calls me out of this darkness. And so now I'm here today because of what? Because of a parent that said, it's not too late. It's not too late for me to get just, just, just tie in with my heavenly Father and be just as vigorous, just as passionate, just as broken over my child's sin and acknowledge it. But listen, if my mom would have thought I was okay, she would have never went out after God like that. So we have to have our blinders open as well. Amen. So let me give you these practical steps because your beliefs have to be changed, not just your behavior. First one is this: you need to dig into the scriptures. And listen, don't go and look for family devotionals. It's not there. It's not. 
Family worship, it's not there. Meditate on Deuteronomy chapter 6. Meditate on Ephesians chapter 6. Meditate on those scriptures and ask God to convict your heart. Because that's where this all begins. The second thing is you need to get it on the calendar and make it a priority. What I mean by get it on the calendar, if family devotionals happen at 7 o'clock, come hell or high water, we are doing family devotional at 7 o'clock. Period. I can't go hang out. I can't go do this. I can't do that. We're not watching that show. We're nothing. Showers aren't happening right now. You're going to stink and we're going to go through family devotional. You knew family devotion was at 7? That's all good. Let's do it. It is a priority on your calendar, but you got to get the belief right before you do all that. And here's the last thing. You need to make yourself accountable to someone. That's what you do. Make yourself accountable to someone. Don't make yourself accountable to someone who's going to say, oh, it's okay. No, make, make yourself accountable to someone who says, that ain't, that ain't okay. Make yourself accountable to someone who's going to challenge you to make family devotional a priority in your time. Amen? Let's all stand to our feet.